Good morning, and welcome to episode 421 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. How are you? Good. How are you? Okay. Do you have Good. any any observations to make? Nope. Okay. Uh, no. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk about a an article that Ken Rosenthal wrote yesterday about um, extensions and what they have done to baseball's salary structure and the, the distribution of wealth or earnings between owners and players. So he uses the, the new Chris Archer extension with the Rays to point out that the game is trending younger in terms of earnings and production, uh, which is something that I wrote about recently that the uh, the aging curve, as as Jeff Zimmerman of Fangraphs uh, studied and mentioned last year, has sort of changed, um, whereas we were seeing lots of guys hang on into their mid-30s, their late-30s last decade. That hasn't been the case since, since the institution of testing, uh, whether you want to draw that connection or not seems seems fair to draw that connection so um teams are kind of not calling guys up earlier but calling guys up when they're ready and they're producing right away as soon as they make the majors there hasn't really been an adjustment period over the last decade or so that the typical roller coaster aging curve where you go up and then you plateau and then you go down we haven't really seen that. Guys are debuting at their peaks and then plateauing and then going down. So the effect of that, since you have a lot of young guys producing a lot of the money and a lot of young guys signing extensions, and young guys are the guys who make most money in baseball, is that this this split between owners and players in terms of earnings has has gone in favor of the owners. And Rosenthal cites a Sports Business Journal report from 2003, which is sort of before this trend. That was kind of at the at the time when that uh, strange out of out of character aging curve was was in full swing. At that time, the players' percentage of league-wide revenues was 63%, and Rosenthal says that it was at about 50% last season, according to sources with the players and the owners. Which is kind of interesting because I remember reading recently in uh, in Jonah Carey's book when he's talking about the 94 strike and the owners wanted to eliminate salary arbitration and they wanted free agency to start after four years instead of six years and owners would have had the right to keep a four or five year player by matching the best offer he got and the, the sop that they threw to the players was that they would guarantee that players receive 50% of league-wide revenue and at the time, it was like 58% in favor of the players. So, you know, that wasn't that wasn't very appealing to them, that the owners guaranteed a 50% floor. But right now, it seems like that's where it is. So Rosenthal sort of talks about that, that conflict between wanting to get early security and wanting to maximize dollars and what the players' union should do about it. Because, you know, it's the most powerful union in sports. And he says that it's so powerful in part because they've always pushed for the most money for their players and they've 
you know, never, never wanted to give a, a discount to the owners if they could avoid it. Whereas now you have guys signing these what seem like below market deals or deals that that save the team money. But at the same time, the players are getting security. And if you were a players union rep, could you really advise them not to sign a deal, you know, in because it's in the union's best interest not to when it might be in the player's best interest to do that? So I guess my question is whether you think there is a owner-player revenue split that is ideal or that should be the case year after year. Like, is it too low? Was it too high? Is there a, a happy, happy percentage? And if there is, then should players be willing to sacrifice their own potential financial security and safety and earnings for the union's greater good? So there's, um, I mean, theoretically, there's there would be, you know, you know, maybe there would be no like kind of uh, imposition on the on the free market, and whatever the figure was would be whatever the market dictated the figure was, right? I mean, if if it turned out that that figure was ninety six percent, but it was a completely free market, you'd go, okay, well, everybody's a consenting adult here. Uh, what's the problem? And similarly, if it was four percent, but everybody was happy, uh, and there was you know no no uh, arbitrary restriction on what players could make, that would be fine too. And and there's there's a there's close to that, but of course there's not because for the first six years when many players are extremely good, uh, they can't make anything or they make less than their market value. And certainly when they're 17 and they're also extremely valuable, they have virtually no leverage. Uh, and now they have like like almost literal restrictions on what they're allowed to to even get. But um, you know mostly like you you figure there is a lot of free market in baseball salaries. And if the figure is going down, it's not like it's not like the figure is going down because some uh, hand of government has uh, has pushed it down, right? I mean, it's gone down for presumably market-based reasons, right? Mm-hmm. So my 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 alternate theory, or I guess not theory, because I have no evidence and have done no research, but my maybe hypothesis for why salaries are going down, and I've kind of tried to express this before in another way and I couldn't so I'm, I'm gonna just start talking and it's gonna go terribly um, uh, so the, the the players salary um, you know anytime something is being sold there's the supply side and there's the demand side and 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 my feeling is kind of that players uh, wh- while owners will pay uh, as little as they can and as much as they can afford to pay uh, to you know compete with other owners Players, while they want to get as much as they possibly can, most of them would play for like one hundredth of what they get paid. Like mm-hmm. virtually every one of these guys would play for eighty thousand dollars if that's what being a professional baseball player uh, paid. And I mean, we know that because we all do worse jobs for less. Uh, <laughs> like every single one of us does oh. a worse job than mm. these guys have for less money than these guys get. Um, <laughs> and so they would all pay, play for less. And so. At a certain point, they're competing with each other, and if the pool of players um, is growing, but the pool of owners is not growing, uh, then you would think it would put pressure, uh, downward pressure on player salaries. And we haven't had expansion in 17 years. The player pool has grown, not just because, uh, you know, uh, the player pool from, you know, even, I was just looking at this the other day, and I, I might mention this later, but 
not later today, but like next week. Um, but like, if you look at how many Venezuelan players there are in the majors, it's still going up. Like, it's still like it goes up every year. It's not like Venezuela is some new market or the Dominican Republic is some new market, and yet it still goes up every year. It's this strange way that like, uh, even forty years or thirty years after um, we started, uh, you know, scouting that area heavily. They're still finding more and more players there um, than they used to, and certainly with um, you know the Asian market and um, and all that, uh, the the pool of, of players is literally growing, and the population of Earth is literally growing, and so uh, there's there's more players, but also just the, there's you know there's it seems like there's more talent, and anyway, so there's a lot more players who can provide pretty good talent level uh, or great talent level that exist in the world right now and yet mm -hmm. there are still only 30 teams mm -hmm. and so the scarcity of players this is just a hypothesis but the scarcity of players uh, is less than it used to be players have somewhat less uh, uh, you know ability to demand an exorbitant salary for what they do and no no player is going to turn down the opportunity to be a professional baseball player uh, because the money is is slightly less than uh, than you know the rate of inflation within the game would suggest it should be, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my alternate hypothesis. I don't know if it's true, but, I, I mean, it seems to make sense. It's been 17 years since since uh, expansion, and I think that the, the lack of expansion for 17 years, uh, uh, coupled with the growing population uh, of, of talented baseball players in the world, has all sorts of effects throughout the game that we don't pay that much attention to, but they're there, and, and I think a lot of trends that we sort of vaguely notice are happening um, would uh, probably be undone if there was suddenly four more teams added to the league. So hmm. that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Now, here's here's the other thing, and here's my question for you. Mm. Uh, do these extensions that young players are signing, pre-arbitration extensions and pre-free agency extensions, but all of them, you know, basically, I think we agree, up to now, it might be changing, but up to now, as a, as a general group of contracts, these have been extremely club-friendly. Players have uh, been paid less per win than they would have otherwise been. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's the club's reward for taking on the risk, right? Yeah. Um, so do all these extensions that young players are signing help or hurt veteran players' uh, uh, own contract negotiations? In other words, does Mike Trout signing his contract for below market value help or hurt Miguel Cabrera trying to get a contract that's above market value. Because on the one hand, you could say, oh, well, it's, it, it, it leaves so much more money in the owner's pocket uh, for, to, to spend on veterans. And so if, if you're an owner or a GM and you've got, you know, you're, if you're a GM and your owner's given you um, the, the flexibility to have $175 million payroll and you can save, you know, $2 million, $4 million, $12 million, whatever by signing, uh, you know, Chris Archer or... Uh, Starlin Castro or whoever to this pre-arb uh, bargain contract, do you then take that money and go, well, geez, where else am I going to spend it? There's nowhere mm -hmm. else to spend and just give it to some dumb free agent veteran. Mm -hmm. Or does it suppress contracts uh, because there's like this sort of uh, feeling among all GMs that the smart money is is saving your money until you can lock up your own players and that there's really no reason to go sign this big dumb veteran free agent because um, you know you could you might have already locked up your own player for the next eight years so does it help or does it hurt should the players union if the play if we agree that the players unions primary 
you know, primary desire is to get veterans lots of money, then should they be happy or sad about this? Hmm. Uh, I guess I would say it hurts. I mean, it could it could certainly help in certain cases. Like if you're, I mean, if you're if you are a team like the Yankees or some team that has a lot of money, but either just hasn't invested or, you know, just hasn't had any success in drafting and developing its own players, then of course it would seem like you would be more likely to give a giant deal to some mediocre free agent. But I guess there aren't that many teams, there aren't any teams that really fall into that Yankees bucket. Um, So maybe on the whole, even though there are fewer free agents available, there are fewer free agents needed. There are, few, there are fewer free agents available because there are fewer holes. Uh, everyone is is locked up, right? Yeah, but uh, the the number of players and the number of positions are are basically unchanged. It, whether mm-hmm. the extensions are signed or not, you still have 750 roster spots, and you still have the 750 best players in baseball, presumably in a in a in a perfect world, getting those 750 roster spots. So the question is whether by um, spending less money on this extension, players then revise their budgets downward, or whether they keep their budgets the same and just feel more freedom to spend that money. I mean, you can certainly imagine, like I was arguing when the Rays signed the Evan Longoria contract, and it was like, whoa, look at the Rays spending all this money. It's so incredible for the Rays to spend all this money. And I was arguing that, in fact, by locking him up and getting him at a below-market extension, even his second one, uh, it essentially saves them money and frees them up to spend more money. So it, it is not, in fact, that by signing Evan Longoria, you can sign fewer veterans in the future. It's that you can sign more veterans in the future because you know you've already locked up your uh, this guy for less than he's worth. So mm-hmm. do you think that when the $175 million payroll team signs its pre-arb ace or shortstop that it lowers its budget? My guess is that it doesn't. My guess is that the budget never goes down. The GMs are constantly fighting to keep their budget and to get their budget raised. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there is one thing in in the sport that is a constant, it is GMs, just as any department head in any industry anywhere ever, it is GMs fighting for more money to spend. Yes, that's true. So I guess the question is then are... Are teams uh, <laughs> unwilling to spend less efficiently on the free agent market because they're right. they're spending so efficiently? They're getting Evan Longoria for you know however many dollars per win, and then will they say, okay, but this is a completely different thing? We have Longoria, we have that money banked, so now we can spend it on this guy who will be paying twice as many dollars per win, and that's okay. So I, yeah, so I wonder. Uh, that is the question. You're right. I mean, I, once you've once you've tasted the sweet fruit of right. Evan Longoria <laughs> pre-arb contract, can uh-huh. you ever go back? Yeah. Um, yeah. The Rays pro- haven't. No. But maybe the but maybe, maybe the, the Rays, Rays just haven't because they're restricted. Yes. You know, right. They're too smart not to. But. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to think of an example of a team that has has someone locked up to you know one of the really enviable extensions and has also gone out and splurged on some veteran. Sal Perez. Sal Perez. I mean, the Royals and, have yeah, a bunch Perez of these, right? And, the Royals. And Omar Infante not a, not or as, something. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeremy Guthrie and uh-huh. I mean Vargas. Urban, they, they, yeah, Vargas. They took on they took on Urban Santana and James Shields money. Although both of those were trades. Uh, but you know, I mean, the the Royals. It seems like the it, it does seem like at least what the Royals have, and we don't know. We don't know what their what their what sort of budget their fundamentals suggest they could carry. But it does seem like the Royals' strategy has been to um, you know to 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 lock up a couple guys cheap when they can, but to spend every you know to spend as much as they can. I mean, Dayton Moore seems to be fighting for the freedom to sign free agents, and mm-hmm. so. You know, having Sal Perez hasn't kept him from trying to get his owner to free up money for for veteran free agents. Mm-hmm. So, but that's one example only. Do you think that the if the if the free agent talent pool shrinks and contracts go up accordingly for the few free agents who are available, do you think that that will make the the pendulum swing back toward players waiting for free agency instead of extending? Uh, do you think that they will look at, you know, some mediocre player cashing in because he's the best, even though he's not that great? And they'll say, well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to be the the guy who cashes in on the free agent market. Or is the lure of this safety and security and stability just too, too strong? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it, it might not it might not convince every player to do it. But I mean, certainly if the. If the incentives move in one direction, it will pick off some. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I think it's. I think it's clearly a push pull. I don't think that. I don't think there's anything inherent uh, in these players' situation that demands that they take a below market extension. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some players think harder about it than others. I mean, Evan Longoria didn't seem to think that hard about it. He he seemed to be content. But I'm sure other players struggle uh, with the decision and really feel a lot of stress about whether they should do it. And the ones on the far end, yeah. If the if there's more money waiting for them, they'll probably take it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we might see. Uh, I think we might see some change in the structure of these deals where there are fewer player options. I mean, uh, 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 j- j- gosh, Ben, help me out, Hart, John Hart. Yes. Um, John Hart said in the '90s, and I think he said this to you too when you interviewed him lately, that he would never make one of these extensions if he couldn't get options at the end that that was mm-hmm. like the the one rule is that he had to get something at the end and so the, the player option was a uh, or the club option was basically his his profit and i think you might see fewer of these club options and i mean you know there's there's no reason that team that players can't get some security without giving up all these years on the other hand i've argued that i think it's going to go the other direction they're going to go younger and younger and mm-hmm. longer and longer and you're going to start seeing single a players signing 12-year extensions mm-hmm. uh and he rosenthal makes an interesting point that i was you know aware of but hadn't really considered the impact of which is that uh the incentives for many agents or most agents are f- to recommend that players sign these deals because often you know, when when someone signs one of these deals, like Evan Longoria signs his deal, and everyone will say, well, why didn't his agent advise him not to do this? Or people said it with, with Craig Landis, Mike Trout's agent. And if you're a small, you know, if you're some if yeah. an agent who works on his own or you're part of a small agency, you really want to, you're, you know, just as eager as the player to get that kind of safety and security because... As Rosenthal says, uh, client stealing is the scourge of the agent business. 
and many players are quick to change representatives, usually for the promise of greater riches. Um, and, you know, you you get nothing, basically, if you put a you could put a decade in with a player and be there with him when he's a teenager and he's drafted and he comes up through the minors and and then he leaves because, uh, you know, someone whispers into his ear and says, I can get you more money and you get basically nothing. It used to be that you would get some some tiny percentage, but there was recently a, a case with Scott Boris where he was trying to get, he was trying to collect some money for a, a player he had worked with for a long time who then signed a deal after leaving him and it was ruled by the arbitrator that he didn't deserve anything. Um, so if you're one of those small agencies that maybe you know, maybe you only have one big client or a few big clients and you really need to survive. You, you need to get a cut of their big deal, whatever it is. And you never know when you could lose that player, when some other big agency could come along and and make him think that you're not doing a great job or that they could get him more money and then he'll leave and then you'll get nothing for all of the time that you invested in him. So if you're an agent, then it's in your best interest to uh, to advise a player to do it. And Rosenthal says that of the 31 pre-arbitration deals that have been done since 2000 that had multiple club options, 26 were done by smaller or mid-level agencies, uh, which is a higher percentage than I would have guessed. And we always say, oh, he's, you know, it's a Boris client, so he's not going to sign an extension. And, and you know, it, I always thought of it as sort of like a Boris ego thing. Like he always wants to get the highest deal for a player that he can then tell other players he got, but that's not really the whole reason. He's he has enough players, you know, a big enough portfolio that he can accept the risk that any one of them will not will you know will leave him at any time, and probably there's less of a risk that anyone will leave him because he's a, a big fancy agency with all the bells and whistles. So that's yeah, uh, I'm s- that sound. I am I'm so jealous that I didn't realize that right or can it seems that really is, obvious that's in such a great I yeah i mean that's really smart that's really interesting to think that this huge shift in the economics of baseball might actually be about at least somewhat about the incentives of the agents that that is like i i'm floored i'm flummoxed <laughs> i'm looking at sal perez's agent by the yep. way i'm looking on the mlb trade rumors agency database and uh, the other clients that they represent, Luis Avilon, Edwin Escobar, Armando Galarraga, Victor mm-hmm. Garrett, Jean-Mar Gomez, <laughs> Gorkis Hernandez, Adis Portillo, Mauricio Robles, Miguel Sokolovich, and then Pablo Sandoval. So basically yeah. one, 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 one moneymaker in that mm-hmm. group uh, besides Sal Perez. And so that's really, 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 really interesting. Yeah. So that's uh, – and that's interesting – if if Sandoval, I guess that's maybe that increases the odds that he and the Giants will work something out because I know it seems like they're still sort of far apart, but he's got the small agency. So yeah, although at this point he's <laughs> five months from free agency. Yes, Six right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, so you got to go. We we'll wrap this up. Uh, please send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We'll be doing the email show next Wednesday, so please get those in. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. Some some ratings and reviews have been trickling in, and it's very much appreciated. And please uh, join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash effectivelywild. 
uh, now getting getting close to 1,100 members, constantly talking about the podcast and about baseball and fleshing out the topics that we discuss. Uh, please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com, subscribe to the Play Index, use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price, which is $30 for a one-year subscription, and we will be back on Monday. Wait. Oh. Wait, one, la- one last thing. Okay. If I may, a couple people have a, a couple people, a, a bunch of people have asked about the standings and the scoring for the reliever league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working on it. I um, uh, I might get the first update done by Friday, or if not by uh, the end of the weekend. I'm building the jankiest possible scoring uh, page. It, it will be absurdly stupid, and I'm doing it all by hand. So you know that's going to take some time. Uh-huh. And all of the leagues did finish, right? Because there was what there was that one one yeah. league of laggards who were a few rounds behind everyone. Yeah, they, they yeah they finished like two hours after I told you how far behind yeah. they were. Once the <laughs> once the time limits were were boosted. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Enjoy baseball. Enjoy Jordano Ventura, uh, and we will be back on Monday.